0: Hello and welcome to Faith in the Arts podcast, where we talk about that interface between Christian faith and professional creative practice. I'm Ali Gordon. I'm a painter based in South London.
1: I am Marlita Hill. I'm a choreographer based in Los Angeles, California.
0: And I'm Johnny Meller,
2: and I'm a rapper based in Birmingham, England. Hey, uh, how are you guys today? How are things?
1: I am doing very well. Um settling in back home in California, like I said. Um, in previous podcasts and uh, just working out where I go from here. it's great.
2: We're recording this uh, early New Year 2022 and I'm just waking up from Christmas and uh, looking ahead to the year with a degree of trepidation but also excitement. There are challenges and uh, opportunities
0: on the horizon, I feel. Let's hope it's a better year than years that we've had before. I'm sitting in my studio here in South London and it is freezing. I've got a heater blasting in my face and my toes are frozen cold. So I'm sort of experiencing Scotland in my feet and England in my head, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Oh, come over here. It's sunny and breezy and palm trees. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: Can we, do, can we do an episode in California? Ye- yes, yes please. please.
2: Donate for our, me and Ali's trip to California. There we go. Yes. What, what, what more of a donation drive could we have for our podcast?
0: <laughs> if you would like an episode from California, please send £2,000 to Faith and the Arts podcast. So our subject for today is the imagination. The imagination. Something that's not talked about as much, I think, in faith and arts Circles, we sometimes talk quite a lot about worldview, um, a Christian worldview, the way we think around the world, but we don't perhaps talk so much about the imagination. In fact, is there such a thing as a Christian imagination? And if there is, what might that be? And we all work in the creative arts, so we have a vested interest in this subject. But I wonder if we could start by talking about what the imagination is. Uh, hey Marita, let me throw this one to you. So when you hear that word imagination, What are some of the ideas, words, and pictures that come to mind?
1: Uh, Room, possibility. Mm. Uh, Yeah, those are the two that stick out for me. Ali, I was thinking about that, like, oh, no, what am I going to say? But yeah, it is. I think it's just like room and possibility and openness and um, just kind of unanswered questions. And that's okay. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see.
0: Yeah. I like that. But.
2: Yeah, for me, it's. Um, I think of the imagination as the bit of us that can navigate uh, in between the bits that we know, uh, I suppose. So hmm. uh, we know things... We often think we know things through experience or through reason, um, but I think even the most rationalist or empiricist of us would recognise there are gaps in between those things, and I think that's where imagination for me comes in, Trying to trying to piece together those disparate facts about the world and fill in the
0: gaps to flesh it out because the world is more than facts. Mm, I like that, that sort of space in between things. I like the idea of imagination as space and as mm. room. I think about it as something that is beyond what, what we currently see or, mm-hmm. or know. Um, and as an artist, I have some task in materialising and demonstrating or mm-hmm. visualising that which, which is beyond... Um, well, I think historically about imagination, I think about how the Hebrews used to think about it. They thought about it from their gut, all right? They, they sort of imagined from mm. their inner core. And, and the Greeks, apparently, they used to think about it from, from the heart, you know? So it was to do with emotion, feeling. When we think of imagination, I wonder if most of us think about it as something that happens in the head, mm. you know, something... Uh,
1: I uh, would absolutely agree with that. Mm. Um,
0: maybe connected to sight, and mind, but I like the idea that imagination isn't just something that you think about, not just a cerebral activity, but something that also is fully embodied, that could be heart or that could be gut. Um, and in that sense, you can kind of imagine with your body. You know, I wonder how one might imagine through dance, for example, or through movement in in a room.
1: And that's interesting because when you ask the you know the first question. It was like I could only think of how it makes me like the visceralness of it. Mm. I just feels open. It feels roomy. I didn't think of it as, you know, something um, that happens. It's interesting because when I when I described it, I didn't think of something that happens in my mind. But as you said that, if I were to define imagination. I would have defined it as something happening in my mind. That's so interesting, how you talk about the different locations that that cultures.
2: Yeah, Ali, Ali maybe you can up. help me with this one a bit because um, I went to one of the Morphe Arts Make Good lectures all about this during depths of lockdown. Oh, thanks for coming there. to that. Yeah, well, oh, no, yeah. thank you. It was absolutely brilliant. It was a uh, Urella Andrews and uh, James James K A Smith. I think is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> James K A Smith. He talked about imagination living in between our our intellect and our intuition which I thought was a really interesting way to put it but also talked about it being necessarily embodied that we exactly what you've just said we we think of in our heads but we we can only develop it through living in the embodied world, and I really mm. loved that stuff, mm. but I was struggling. It was always seemed a bit beyond me. It was almost like I've almost got it, but not quite so. I mean, Ali, I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you? I mean, I don't know if you agree with that view, but do you, how would you see that mm. view? Do you could you flesh that out a bit for just for me, really? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll give that a try. Maybe should I just call James K.A. Smith and see if we can get him on the hotline Hey, right now. I mean, he writes very well about imagination, beautifully about imagination and imagining the kingdom comes to mind, for example. Yeah, and I think it was um, the, the philosopher Merleau-Ponty, Maurice Merleau-Ponty, who described that space between reason and, um, oh, I'm just blanking. In- John, intuition. and Ah, thank you. When I think about how that might work out in practice, so I I make a painting, for example, you know, I'm I'm an artist. And when I'm here in the studio, because I've trained as a painter and I've learned the craft of painting, if we put it that way, I know a bit about colour theory and a bit about tone and and how to make a a decent painting. um, All that is there, that kind of reasonable activity that I have worked through over many years has almost become embodied within me like a kind of muscle memory so when I make a drawing from observation, for example, I can draw better today than I could when I was a younger man, just through practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I was to say that I was to sit down and conscientiously think about that drawing all the time, well, I, I probably wouldn't. That my muscle memory kind of kicks in, um, and then there's this sort of thing that happens called called intuition, where I sort of sense and feel what might be right. So this. Feels like it's the right color. I sense that this is the right mark to make at this point, and and that intuition has come through the building up of muscle memory and drawing, through those um, through through years of practice. And yeah. somewhere in that mix, then is the is the imagination between that intuition between the 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 reason and rationality is this sort of space where I kind of picture something that doesn't yet exist and and paint that. I don't know if that helps us sort of describe it. I mean, I, I think anyway. I've
2: got a, a similar thing with, with writing. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very green uh, writing fic, fiction sort of stuff. But mm. i have particularly learned over the last couple of years that um, it, I've heard people say say as they write, um, the story goes where the story goes. And and my view of writing always was, you come up with the idea, that you, you imagine something, and then you put it down on paper. But over the last couple of years, just developing more of an understanding that. The imagination, the imaginative world grows as you write it, which I think is similar to what you're saying, mm, yes. painting-wise. And so you find as as you use the the, the very necessarily um, worldly um, faculty of language. I think I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but um, your imagination then flows out onto the the page, and it starts going in different directions to where you you thought. And I I, I don't think I can imagine without writing. I can't imagine a story without writing. It hmm. seems, or it seems the two things are different. I and mean, as you imagine, as you write, it seems that the imagined, the
0: story you imagine is more vivid. Is that a similar thing, Ali? Yeah, I, I think so. I think as you write, um, and of course I write a little bit as well, the more that I write, the more I can imagine, the more I can visualize the people that I'm writing about the situation that I'm, I'm writing about. And the same with the painting, as the painting develops, um, the more I can realize what I'm imagining. And therefore, I can imagine further. Mm. So, you know, we we could talk about the experience of the imagination, what what it what it feels like to imagine when one is in the studio or piecing together uh, a, a piece of choreography, for example, mm-hmm. uh, where you are imagining not just for yourself but also on behalf of the other people, the dancers that you are working with. And I, I'd be very curious, Molly, to 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 hear about how you how you experience the imagination as a as a choreographer.
1: Yeah, I was definitely thinking about that as Johnny was speaking about this idea that as he writes, you know, his unma- his imagination kind of unfolds and takes it different places. And for me, um, you, you know, Twyla Tharp in The Creative Habit, she talks about mm. how it's important for us as creators to be comfortable with the blank white room, mm. Right. Where you come in, and sometimes you don't know what's gonna happen. Sometimes you do. Sometimes the imagining starts before you get into that space of creation where you're actually putting pen to paper, paintbrush to canvas, that kind of thing. And sometimes you have sessions of improvisation where you're just trying to get the imagination to flow as you do, right? <clears throat> or people may have some other processes. Of how to get that imagination flowing or, or when it starts flowing. Um, and for me, you know, that happens through different stimuli and at times from work to work. Uh, but, you know, I go in sometimes and I don't know what in the world is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> you just got to trust something's going to happen. Uh, something's going to spark that little button to go. Something's going to do it. Yes. And then once it does, you know, I kind of get disparate pieces. Not disparate, but but kind yes. of just random. Sorry. You know, it's, it's 4 o'clock in the morning here. Random pieces. Yes. And I don't know where they go. And so when I'm in the middle, you know, the beginning, I won't even say the beginning, throughout the process, mm. part of it is just figuring out, not even figuring out, letting this dance identify itself to me
0: i wonder if there's a sense then that in order to imagine well we require a certain vulnerability uh, in in order to have that that space where you mm-hmm. say I, I don't know where this is going at this mm, yeah. moment." i mean that does require you to be a little vulnerable you mm-hmm. know
2: mm-hmm. and, and a lack of control as well you, you're not I was,
1: yeah you're not oh, yeah. just
2: trying to say i've got this vision for what i want to do and i will bend the whole of reality for these moments when I create into that vision, you're like, no, I'm working with the elements, the space I'm in, the blank page, the blank room, the blank canvas. Yes. And let the, let the materials help, help direct me and let the world, the embodied world I live in, let direct me. I I think Smith, again, he he talked about um, developing the imagination for attunement. Again, this is all coming from Mm. make good lecture. You can find it online. Um, And that idea, I love that idea that, if it's embodied imagination, to develop your imagination, you've got to understand how the world works, which is not just thinking, mm. it's acting in the world, which as artists we, we yeah. do in special ways, and you just learn oh, this is the way the world is. Uh, I love that word, attunement, being attuned to yeah. the world, and therefore we can imagine yeah. very well. Um, so so for an example, like J.R. Tolkien can write um, a very, obviously, fantastic world in Middle-earth, but it seems attuned to the world we live in. It's, it, it's in. We don't have goblins and orcs and things like that in our world, yet when you really think this is real life, this is humanity, because the laws are consistent. And I think that's, for me, a, a wonderful work of imagination. It, it, it's not just fantasy. It's fantasy that yeah. helps me understand reality, because he understood reality.
1: And, and, and that makes me think of, like, um, imagination can be... Its own type of tool that I can wield in different ways, right? I can mm. I can use it to get me started um, when I'm in the process, and then I can turn it off and kind of take control, or I can I can let imagination run and take me where it wants to take me, into any kind of fantastical kind of thinking, or I can tamper it, right? So I I can it's almost like a a tool, or it can be a collaborator, and it's who who's leading the direction of this piece? And when I want to take over it and say, okay, perfect, I just needed you to get me this far, um, right? But then I'm going to take it from here so so we're not like really crazy with what we're coming up with. You know what I mean? So it's very interesting to think of it like that. Hmm.
0: It sounds like we're saying then that, that imagination is related to other aspects like like um, intuition. You seem to be landing around intuition, mm-hmm. attunement, intuition that the way that we feel and sense our way around about the world and um, so you know I took my daughter to school this morning I drove her to school um, on this particular occasion I can't tell you how I drove that car and um, let me just say I drove well you know I wasn't sleep driving <laughs> I don't even remember <laughs> I, I just <laughs> I just bl- no I didn't blank out no <laughs> well, no but, you know, when I, when I drive the car, I just I have an intuition about it. I intuitively know where the gearbox is. I intuitively know how to indicate. I intuitively know which, which way to go, even. And so much of our life seems to evolve around intuition. You know, we, the, the way we brush our teeth and the way we might prepare a meal. Um, you know, the way our, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, the way you access this podcast, there's probably some intuitive process involved with with that. And I, I wonder how much of the imagination, therefore, is related to our intuition, the, the way we sense and feel um, our way around the world.
1: A friend of mine and I, yesterday, we were talking about, you know, uh, the church. I don't know if we want to go here yet, but the church and the sense of, in a lot of ways, and even just Western culture, we tend to be very disembodied and we tend to be very cerebral. Both of us are dancers. And so that that reality is very visceral for us, right? And it's just so interesting to think that genation is something you you it just it comes with us. It's it's like a factory preset. You don't yes. <laughs> you don't you don't have to do anything to get it. That's how God made mm-hmm. you. But how we engage with it, how we interact with it um, is different, I think, Mm. culturally and age. Mm. And as we get older and we become more mature and we become more professional and responsible, Mm. sometimes in certain ways in different areas of our lives, we clamp down on that that very beautiful part of us. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. When I think of people who show a great imagination, Marita, just thinking about what you said there, it strikes me they also have a great capacity to empathize, mm-hmm. to, to be able to sit with someone very different from themselves and say, I might not hold the same view that you have on that, but I can, I can, I can sit with you in it and I can hear you and I can listen to you mm-hmm. and I can repeat back to you what you are saying to me. And that person can feel like they're really heard. And that, that takes enormous amounts of of um, empathy and imagination to really empathise with people. And it strikes me, at this particular moment in our world, if ever there was a time to empathise, then it's now.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, yeah.
2: Could, could, could I ask a question? If, if then um, we think of imagination as tied in, it's not just intuition, but intuition is involved. Um, is it like like Malita said, it's a factory re- reset. We all have it. Um, it's our fa- default setting. Are there some people um, who have it more or have it better? Um, can we grow? Can we develop? Because I, I guess behind the question is, uh, this is an art, a faith and arts podcast. We, we're talking, I imagine lots of you listening would be artistic practitioners who would be sp- particularly associated with imagination. How do you think that works? Are there some people who have more imagination or can you grow from having a poor imagination to a good imagination over to you two. There's my questions.
1: Hmm. Ooh, can I, can I throw my two cents in? Do it. I don't think people have different um, amounts of imagination. I think people have different degrees of comfortability with their imagination. I think that people allow their imaginations to be a part of their lives in different measures. Yeah, right. That that's what I think. Mm. You know, Ali, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I'm pausing because I'm reflecting on that. Think about a podcast; you're not allowed to pause and reflect. I know, right? you? you can't. You can't have dead air. <laughs>
1: Ali looks very studious as he contemplates, guys.
2: But <laughs> <laughs> for, for the listeners, Ali sat there, stroking his chin, gazing into space as he pondered. The Mysteries of Imagination. Alice.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I think I'm with you, Marlita. I think in terms of the default setting, if I think theologically on that, all humans are made in the image of God, right? Yes. So it's as if to say some people get more of that, that kind of divine imagination than others. Right. Which doesn't quite seem to settle right or seem fair it, somehow. It doesn't.
1: It doesn't.
0: It, it's a bit like saying some of us are more worshipful than others or more spiritual than others. yes. It seems like if imagination is born out of the character of God, then all humans have it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, but, but perhaps there's a sense then that, um, you know, we might develop or nurture our imagination, depending on which culture yes. we're born into, uh, the opportunities afforded to us when we were younger, yeah. our particular enthusiasms or interests in life. Um, so it could be a kind of nature-nurture oh, yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I, and I think in that regard, you know, to your second question, Johnny, and then I want to hear what you think. But in terms of can you can you grow or increase your imagination? I think, mm-hmm. again, imagination is what it is. It's free. It's big. It's grown. It's huge. Um, and so I think we can increase our comfortability. I mm-hmm. think we can increase um, our awareness of how to um tap into it how to give it room to to participate and that kind of thing i think more of the growth is on our side to interact with it as opposed to trying to make it bigger yeah
2: i mean i'm hearing all you're saying i'm ge- genuinely just exploring this area i feel i feel like a child entering the world of
1: i think it's a great question yeah. though
2: i'd like to think that you can grow in your your imagination and your imaginative skill because i'd like to grow in mine <laughs> but i i do recognize i've met people who seem to have a, a more uh flourishing um imagination than others so i've got i got a friend who would um uh would would invent whole whole worlds imaginative worlds in his spare time um and so he would it, it's again it's it's like tolkien and it, he wouldn't have done it because he was into tolkien it's completely separate but a similar mindset he'd have maps he'd have characters of uh the people who live in these imaginative worlds and it probably would be fair to say he lives in those worlds quite a bit of the time. Um mm-hmm. which which interestingly when I first met him came when he came to our church, uh, something in a past church he'd been really discouraged from because uh people said you need to live in the real world. Stop this fantasy mm-hmm. and imagination, ground yourself in the real world. Um which, I, and again, being honest, when I first heard him say it, I thought maybe they had a point. I mean, shouldn't we live in the real world? I mean, these worlds we create, are these useful? But I mean, we definitely have come to the opinion, no, that that's a gift that he has. And it maybe I'm moving the conversation in a different direction. But it seems that the church has certainly not valued the imagination. If you don't value the imagination, you're not going to grow in it. Or you're not going to release people who seem, whether they're more innately gifted in this area or whether they have simply pushed into it more. They Those people will not be brought to the fore if your culture does not mm. value mm. Um, this part of life. Um, and I think that would certainly be the case in, in the churches I've I've probably been uh, around. But
1: I think you, you highlighted something important, Johnny, was here was this man whose imagination was actively present and it was other people around him who said you need to stop engaging mm. with that. Thank now you. think about... Think about the voices in your life, in my life, in other artists' lives who have said something to the same effect. Now, he was basically able to tell them, you can go jump in a lake, I'm going to keep engaging. But how many of us do shut shut it down because we think it's the responsible thing to do, because we think we need to be adults, because we don't give credence, to that very important part of us. So it's not that you don't have imagination. It's that when whatever conversation was around you told you that adults don't do this, that responsible people don't do this, that good Christians don't do this, right? Whether that came from the church or family or even from your own assumptions or self, we allowed that to um, cause us to detach ourselves or shut Mm -hmm. that part of ourselves off. Like I think of um, a beautiful mind. Did you ever see a beautiful yeah. mind with Russell Crowe?
2: That Russell right? Crowe movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And and there was a there was a moment in the movie where those voices and those characters were still present in his mind, yeah. but he was like, "I'm not going to engage with you anymore. I'm I'm yeah. going to act like you're not there." And but they were always present with him. They never left him. He just stopped engaging with them, right? Because people told him you should not be talking to things that are not there, Yeah, right? right so that raises such an interesting question.
0: It, it sort of implies that there is an aspect of imagination that could be detrimental to one's mental welfare. That and and immediately I'd want to say um, no, let's you know let's encourage all the imagination that we can, but. If the imagination is subject to all aspects of creation uh, mm-hmm. that, that is fallen, then of course th- th- there will be a fallen imagination and um, a godly imagination, which we'll come to in a moment, I think. What is there such a thing as a godly imagination? But I, re- I really feel for that guy, actually, Johnny. You know, if we're in a situation where mm-hmm. someone who's demonstrating a great imagination is being discouraged from exploring that further, then there's something really quite problematic about that. I mean, one thing, if it's it's detrimental to his welfare, um, you know, if if I'm spiraling into a fantasy that is detrimental to my welfare and those around about me, then I hope that people would help me come out of that fantasy. But that's different from um, existing in a world of imagination that actually brings great blessing and and Mm -hmm. benefit. Like if Mm -hmm. someone said to Tolkien, stop. Going on about orcs and goblins and wizards, you know. <laughs> or someone said to Frida Kahlo, just, you know, get out of that world of imagination. Or Which someone said I'm says, sure
1: someone did.
0: Yeah. I'm sure someone <laughs> did. Yeah. I mean they, they said it to Van Gogh, you know. Yeah, um, I'm sure someone did.
2: Yeah. But I, I guess we, we need we need balances. We need some sort of balance or some sort of way of um mm-hmm. uh judging how we're navigating those things. I mean, to put it on a global scale, my, my simple understanding of the Christian church's approach to imagination uh, in my tradition, uh, which is generally the Protestant tradition, would be that uh, when the Reformation came, there was a push against imagination because some there were some... I, I don't know if this is the right phrase again, but there were some excesses of the imagination that had led to what we call superstition. And I, I do wonder whether the either-or of romanticism or... Um, rationalism is a really false dichotomy and this is why james james k smith's um definition is good it's in, intuition and intellect it's in between the two so i think our reason uh, and the other kind of checks and balances we have in our lives good friends around us things like that can can help us i think in in these things to know well it's not just give in to completely imagination and don't ever use your logical faculties just like i think the third thing that is your body as well and push into an embodied experience of the world, get to know the world, get to know culture, reason, uh, intuition, and learnt knowledge of culture, I think those three things all together will help the imagination not pull back on it by having mm-hmm. a triangle, so to speak.
0: So maybe then, a few things going on with that, maybe then, in part, we might talk about how through the 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 legacy, not just of the Reformation, but the, the late Enlightenment oh, yeah. um, movement, where we might say that they're is a suspicion of things of the imaginative, if they are associated with the emotional, the mystical, in contrast with, say, things that are rational or reasonable. Um, And we see a sort of a a split between those two. And maybe the the Western church gets caught up in that and thinks, okay, let's emphasise things of rational and reasonable, things of uh, the word, a word base. And let's emphasise things like um, uh, a kind of an apologetics, a worldview of apologetics. Perhaps there's still a sense that we're still being enlightened and that the imagination is still caught up in things that are a little bit dubious, you know, a little bit um, emotional or mystical. Perhaps it's that. But then I want to return, if I can, to Marlita's question, which I think, Johnny, you're, um, you're, you're alluding to as well, about whether one can expand or grow the uh, imagination and um, we've been talking about the imagination in in terms of attunement, that place between um, rational and reasonable. That space between the intellect and intuition that we say is imagination or attunement. So I, I would want to say that you could grow in your attunement to the world, and if one can grow in the way that you're attuned to the world around you, then that will help the imagination to flourish. So by attunement, if we might say being aware, being perceptive, being attentive, um, allowing ourselves to slow down enough, to get bored enough, to flex that inner muscle of intuition and attunement. And in that sense, perhaps one could grow uh, an imagination or or nurture um, an imagination.
2: And and I think it, it, attunement for me would would come from getting to know the the world that God has given us, and the, and particularly draw mm-hmm. out the good things in the world that are hidden everywhere, even in the broken world that we we are in. And um, a, the tendency in in some church cultures would be to very much separate the sacred and the the secular, mm. and withdraw into this kind of. Uh, what they see as a sacred world where I guess the vision of life is we we should really just be doing spiritual disciplines all the time and we should just be praying and worshiping. It's a real shame we have to go to work or have family, these kind of fallen parts of the world. And one day we will, when we sing, I could sing of his love forever. Well when we get to heaven, some disembodied reality in the clouds, we will sing of his love forever. and the whole thing is like a an eternal worship service where we just stare at jesus the whole, <laughs> the whole time <laughs> now, just to be clear i just don't I, I don't believe that at all um I think that well obviously within Jesus, I think jesus is, says in colossians in, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and understanding, but he's it's almost yeah. like he's hidden them in other places all around and and so I think the the idea that actually we develop attunement of the world we get to know the world well so we can imagine realistically and really um by by knowing culture as well really getting to know mm-hmm. culture experiencing people yeah. place getting uh getting into creation uh, the, the embodied existence stuff i, I think that's how uh, attunements done I, th- I just to be clear i think spiritual mm-hmm. disciplines are very 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 important but it's it's those plus and
0: not Either or is there a sense then where we might pray for god's spirit to develop and nurture a greater attunement within us to the world so that we might have a greater imagination
1: I wonder if it's I wonder if it's both attunement and capacity mm. increase my capacity or mm. show me. Show me how to, uh, like, I, I think of, um I keep thinking of like this hose, you know, I'm holding my hands in a circle, but this hose and the the amount, if, if, if I were thinking of the amount of imagination flowing through that hose is dependent upon how small or large of a circle I make. Mm, mm. Do you know, that's how, it makes that's how, that's how yeah. I'm... Thinking of imagination is I can I can make that circle really small or I can make that circle really large. And so Mm. I I love the idea of, you know, that you and Johnny are talking about, about being attuned to the world, which makes me think of something you said earlier, Ali, about, you know, empathy. And Mm. I'm like, in that case, then then imagination is is both empathy and empathetic. Mm. in its use right um but then there is also that increase uh increasing of capacity to allow it to flow to allow it to be um to to engage and 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 operate i was like what is that word yeah that's so good i i wonder
0: if modern life has so so many things coming at us at any given time Uh, all the beeps and messages that come to us through social media and so forth, if that somehow has an effect to reduce the capacity for achievement and imagination. I mean, I don't want to over-romanticise life before social media, and I enjoy social media and use it. But there is something about allowing yourself to get a little bit bored and be undistracted that somehow creates that, that kind of widening of that hose to allow a greater capacity for one to imagine
2: we've got three three kids who from between seven and and 13 and very much wanting to push into that, that idea of of boredom being a a really important gift to us right at the moment there is a possibility you can stop them ever getting bored i mean it's not difficult does it cost a few hundred quid you buy them a a Switch or an Xbox, and they'll play happily on like free games on your phone. <laughs> so, I mean, they could bounce from game to game. And we, we've a, a lot mm-hmm. over the Christmas holidays trying to be like, no, don't do anything. You're not any- anything of, of those toys, those games, uh, computer screens, go and go off and do something. They're like, but we don't know what to do. Exactly. That's that's the whole point. But yeah, I really feel that the idea of using boredom and putting yourself in places where you are likely to be bored, I think definitely uh, widens the hose of the imagination.
1: Okay, so this makes me think of something because when you were talking about, uh, was it Tolkien you were talking about? Mm. And I thought about, um, you know, I think also part of increasing our capacity to participate and engage with imagination. How many times do we either consciously or unconsciously shut it down because of personal judgments of imagination when it presents itself? You know what I mean? Oh, that's silly. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, yeah. that... Right? And so, so it's almost like a whack-a-mole. You know, the game where as soon as a little thing pops up, you smack it oh, down. Yeah.
2: Do, you, do like, you mean the green stuff you eat with a uh, burrito?
1: That's guacamole. Well, <laughs>
2: <cool. laughs> <Malita>, please continue. <laughs> it's lunchtime. I'm hungry.
1: <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, like how many times do we judge the ideas that pop up before we allow them to, to, you know, grow an arm and a leg and, you know, any part of a body so we could see what it is. So I think that's yeah. also part of that, that capacity as well. Um, that's yeah. so
0: true. We, we almost shut the project down because we think it's not going to work out mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. allowing the imagination to develop mm-hmm. before allowing that little moment of boredom to give us the space to sort of find a solution to something that's not working. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. I wonder if we can move to examples. Can you guys mm. think of a particular artist, dancer, musician, writer, who just to you demonstrates the most wonderful imagination? Perhaps yes. even someone who might demonstrate a kind of Christian imagination. But is there, who do you mm. think of when you think of, wow, there is an imagination right there?
1: For me, the immediate company that I think of is Netherlands Dance Theater. Okay. Um, and they have just the wildest things happen on stage that you would not even think of happening on a concert stage. I remember, um, uh, which is so crazy that I even get to say this, but I was in Italy the first time I saw them. And we were only there for eight days to, to study this Reggio Emilia school. But I remember, um, I like, wept in their concert. One of their one of their pieces, it was like this 16 foot piano on stage. What? <laughs> it was this, what? this it was crazy. It was this piano on these huge legs off the stage, <laughs> and that was part of a prop. Another one, it rained on stage. Okay. There was this guy with a backpack with smoke coming out, and then all of a sudden it started raining on stage. How did they um, do that? Oh, it was it was gorgeous. Wow. So yeah, I check them out. Thanks you, for that. You really should. Before. That's They cool. they they greatly incorporate all kinds of visual elements, um, visual and theatrical <gasps> elements. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: it about you, Johnny? Who do you think of? I
2: mean I've I'll be honest I've I've played my hand already uh, Tolkien for me is the, the master of imagination mm. he he delivered a lecture I think just after the second world war uh on fairy stories it was called it was at St Andrews University uh and it it's all about why he's drawn to myth and fairy stories and why he mm. thinks they are uh, valuable and and useful and and so explains a bit of his his ethos behind Lord of the Rings and and the hobbit and the silmarillion um and i just love the way for, for tolkien he comes from a place where he he sees the world essentially as enchanted um yes. that the world is magical and i, I think I, i'm reading between the lines a bit but he he's kind of saying in that that lecture that we that we forget how magical the world is we think the world is normal and and it's just oh science and industry and just we reduce it's reductivist. We reduce everything just to the bare bones and the mechanics. But he was almost wanting to, with his fiction, shake us and say, "Remember, remember the wonder, remember the marvel, remember the mm-hmm. the magic and the enchantment in everything. We're made in the image of God. The the things that everything around us, first of all, before before it was corrupted, God said it was good. And the mad there's that's magic. There's a magic there, and so he writes from that place, and so can create these. Mm these worlds um mm. i think tolkien would say he thought middle earth would be a, a more realistic depiction of life than say a if he'd seen it, a tv drama uh, about kind of mm. um or about things that could actually happen you'd say mm-hmm. um i think he'd say no this is more realistic um although it's got and yeah. because it, in, in, it includes enchantment I mean, sorry to throw in one other, but I will because I'm on a roll. Uh, Fl- <laughs> Flannery <laughs> O'Connor as well.
0: Um, Flannery O'Connor, yeah,
2: would be. I think this is. They're not similar styles of writing. Mid 20th century Catholic writer, but what she does is she presents very real, well, realistic stories, wanting to portray the American South as it was. She wasn't trying to varnish anything. Um, but w- what you get in the background always is this sense of grace and dread that just soak through everything. And so while mm. the writing's very realistic, you get this otherworldly thing going on. Just it's really, it's kind of uncanny and awkward. Um, and I think that's the world. The world is like that. It, there's a shadow uh, in the background all the time. Uh, one of our characters is a, a, a backslidden Christian and he, um, he never comes back to faith miraculously at the end of the book. The book's wise blood. But all through the book, he's got Jesus, it it is haunting him, he says, like a a, a shadowy figure in the woods behind him. He can never escape from this other dimension of life. He's tried to push back, and even from the person of Jesus, a personal God who just infuses everything, and he tries to run away from it, but actually he can't run away from it um, Mm. um, in that way. So I I think, yeah, Tolkien, Flannery O'Connor would be um, masters of the imagination, in my
0: opinion. I, I love that idea of, mm-hmm. of soaking through how that, mm-hmm. you know, the way that you see the world, the way that you navigate it, the way, mm-hmm. the, the way that you hope, what do you hope for, how that soaks into the way that you write, paint, dance. That to me speaks more about the imagination than it was about the worldview, I think. Mm-hmm. And For me, I was, I was in Coventry recently and I visited the cathedral, again, Coventry Cathedral, which was designed by Basil Spence, Um, After the Second World War and Spence was asked when he was in the trenches and he was fighting, he was asked, what will you do when you get home after the war? And filled with great imagination and great hope, his answer was, I'm going to build a cathedral. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a cathedral. And he went back and he did it and he won the commission to win, to build the new Coventry Cathedral. And the old one had been destroyed, you see, by the bombings uh, and the blitz. And the building is this extraordinary example of modernist architecture. And you begin in the ruins of the old building that's destroyed and bombed out. And you move through a glass atrium to the new uh, concrete building, actually. And it's very dark inside, but flooded by light from the stained glass windows. And the windows are speck spectacular and um, gorgeous abstract, colourful windows, and the whole building is full of art. There's a huge tapestry by Graham Sutherland, and there's work by Piper, and there's work by uh, um, I think Epstein has a sculpture on the outside as well. You know, the thing is, is, so full of artwork that some of the greatest art artists working at that time. And to me, it's such an interesting example because it demonstrates both imagination, but but also how, how imagination can embody a sort of hopefulness, you know, a sense of hopefulness for the future. This coming out of the ruins of the destruction of the war, a building that embodied a hope for the the future in a non-sentimental way. And it brought, Mm. you know, commerce to the city and it brought tourism to the city and it brought about change in that city. And, And to me, Spence is such an interesting character because he evokes how imagination um and a Christian imagination at that creates a sense of hope that also then brings about some cultural change mm-hmm. so that yeah um yeah i think I think he's a, a really interesting a really interesting example
1: all of these make me think because I, I was I'm listening and and just kind of this this idea came to me of. You know, the degree to which we experience our imagination, it almost depends on our ability to hold back the no. Mm. No, that doesn't belong here. No, I shouldn't do this. You know, no, don't do orcs. No, art doesn't belong in a church. No, this is... This is not the right time to build this building. No, that's a silly idea for you to think you're going to build right. a church. No, whatever that no is, our ability to, to, to stave off that no yes. directly affects how much we we um, are able to experience that imagination and, and how far it's allowed to take us.
0: That might be a great place to wrap things up and hold back the no. That could be the next T-shirt for the podcast. Bam. Let's do it. If you would like Marlita to make a (laughs) T-shirt with Hold Back the No and send it to you, send £50 to Faith in the Arts podcast. Hey, no,
2: that money's going towards our trip to California. I'm not having any money taken out of that. (laughs) Yeah. We'll send pictures to you of us sitting under a palm tree with our Hold Back the No (laughs) T-shirts, sipping pina colada, (laughs) talking about the imagination, living the dream. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> well as we wait for that dream to become a reality let's press pause on this discussion we've thrown up all sorts of questions about the imagination and hopefully we've started to dig into this topic in a way that helps you uh, well next time we will continue our exploration and ask more specifically what is a christian imagination and also uh, open up why this conversation even matters if it does why is the imagination important that will all be next time But until then, please keep sending your comments and questions to us at hello at faithinthearts.show. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please support our podcast. We were planning to have a a Patreon. A few people have been asking uh, whether we have a patronage patronage scheme. Uh, But for the time being, that hasn't really proved possible. So if you'd like to see more podcasts like this made, just simply visit our website, faithinthearts.show, and click on the donate link. Uh, if you donate you never know we may return later this year for a second season who knows so thanks for listening and tune in next time hopefully see you then